We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Welcome. We're going to get started here in just a moment. I've got to go teach the baptism class for the young people. That's just down the hall here. But uh, I thought I'd say hello, see if there are any prayer requests this morning from you all. We uh, certainly know about the international scene that is going to be on our prayers later this morning. Terrible, terrible situation. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity that we have again this morning to open your word. I pray that you would fill our uh, teacher this morning here in this class as with the other classes by your spirit. May he uh, recall the things that he has dug out of Scripture and be able to share them with us so that we would be edified and encouraged in the midst of these uh, what many would call very dark days and help us, instead of looking at that darkness, to look at the opportunities that are provided to minister the gospel and to help people understand that uh, the ways of God are much different than the ways of man. Father, I pray the gospel will have its free course in our midst and in our families and our community. May it run to its destination and be effectual. We thank you for this. We pray for those who are not well today, those who are uh, stuck at home, those who uh, are not here for one reason or another. We remember them. We pray that you'd work in them according to what their most important needs are. And for those that are still on their way here to the building, I pray you'd grant them safe passage. Thank you for the sunshine this morning as well and the nice uh, travel that was possible for us here. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Thank you, Brother James. Good morning. We will turn again to the book of Haggai and take another look at what the Lord has to say, both had to say to them and has to say to us. I don't know if you recall, last time I gave you the heading that I put on my notes. And the heading that I had was God neglected, a temple project neglected. Now, I have a different heading for today, and that heading is, Why Build a Temple? Why Build a Temple? There are different ways that we might think about that question, and I have some things that I want to say specific to that, but first what I want to do is read from the first chapter. 
And then I will focus a bit more on the things that I have outlined here. Haggai chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. In the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, to Israel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, saying, or your Bible might say the Lord of armies. This people says, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, so you see the contrast and comparison there. The Lord says, he raises a question, and this people says, and now the Lord says. And he gives a rhetorical question here, and he says, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses and this temple to lie in ruins? He's, he's drawing a picture. He's making a picture for them to, to look at and to consider what he has to say to them. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, hear the words, consider your ways. Now, that's always good advice, especially if we are going to consider our ways in light of what God has to say. It's always a good word, consider your ways. Because we want to measure our ways against what the Lord has said, not against what we might think or want or hope. And then he says here, now, you have sown much and you bring in little, little. You eat and you do not have enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm, and who earns wages, earns wages to put them into bags with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go to the mountains and bring wood and build the temple that I may have pleasure in it and be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, but indeed it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, says the Lord of hosts, because of my house. Because of my house that is in ruins, Now, we might think a house, a building, in ruins. Why is that a big deal? Somebody might think that. But the Lord says they're having certain calamities because they neglected the building. 
And then he says, my house that is in ruins, while every one of you runs to his own house, therefore the heavens above you withhold dew, and the earth withholds its fruit. For I called for a drought on the land and the mountains, on the grain and the new wine and the oil, on whatever the ground brings forth, on men and livestock, and on all the labors, or labor of their hands. And I want to break it off right there for now. So why build a temple? Why build it? I'm going to give two answers to that. Lifted directly out of the text here. And the first one is this. Notice that in 7a and 8b, I'm taking a part of 7 and a part of 8 to provide the answer here. Thus says the Lord. That's in what I call 7a. In 8b are these words. That I may take pleasure in it and be glorified. What's the focus there? For the first reason to build the temple. I'm saying here from these words, we're proposing reasons to build the temple. And I'm presenting that the text is telling us that there's a reason given here that God may have pleasure and be glorified. The temple. So that's the first one. But I have selected from the text as well to provide a second answer to that to the question of why build a temple. Now in the text it talks about and it tells us that there were certain consequences that attended both the neglect of the building and then later the resumption of the building project consequences. And so here's the other part of that, extrapolated from verses 1, 6, and 1, 9. If you go ahead with a project the way that I told you to do it, there will be consequences. How about that? If you obey God, there will be consequences. Now, oftentimes we talk about consequences in terms of a negative thing that's going to happen. But this says that if you obey God, there will be consequences to that. What consequences for them in this context that Haggai was talking about? 
He said, here are some consequences that will happen to you if you obey and do what I tell you to do. You will sow. And I've extrapolated and reordered in a positive statement right from the text, though. You see it there. You will sow and bring in much. You will eat and have enough. You will drink and be filled. You will earn wages and not lose them. You will look for much and find much. The heavens will not withhold dew, nor the earth, the fruit, its fruit. There will be no drought. Consequences. Consequences for obeying and doing what the Lord says. Now that's really quite interesting. But do you hear another voice coming through as I read those two answers? Do you hear another voice? Does it think, make you think about Matthew? Can you hear Matthew? In chapter 6 and verse 33, where he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. This what I read from Haggai. That's what Matthew's talking about. He's saying that there is a priority. There's an order. There's a reason. And there are consequences to doing what the Lord says do. That's what he says. But when Haggai comes to these people, as we said before, he's writing in about 520 B.C., or actually, we know pretty definitely that that's the year. And they are in Judah, in Jerusalem, but there's no temple there. There's no temple there. Now, this is sad. This is very bad. The temple. God dealt with his people over the centuries. We talked about how that in Genesis 12, God visited with Abraham, then known as Abram. And he said, I want you to leave your country, your kindred, and go off to a place that I'm going to tell you about. And then out of you will proceed offspring. And down through the generations, ultimately, all the world shall be blessed. And so Abraham obeyed, and he did what the Lord commanded. And then there came a time when, when they were small in number. What did they have? About 70. And a drought came. And God had providentially prepared for their uh, survival and for their sustenance by sending Joseph ahead on down into Egypt through a horrifying 
experience to get down there, abandoned by his brothers who had an intent, at least one of them, to kill him. But they abandoned him and sold him. And down to Egypt he went. But Joseph was a good man. He was a righteous man. And through him, obeying what the Lord commanded, God raised him up and put him into the second place in the kingdom down in Egypt. And so when the great famine was too much for his family, he invited them all to come and they had a welcome reception there. But over time, the pharaohs who had been good with to Joseph and all that, they began to look and they began to do the census count like what we do every 10 years. And they began to see that there are just, these people are just multiplying so greatly. We need to do something because if we don't, and some enemy come against us, they just may join with them and we'll be done. And so they began to put a vice grip on those people. And the conditions became very horrifying. And they cried out to God, and he heard, and he sent Moses. And he used Moses in a mighty way to deliver the people, to bring them out of Egypt. But in the wilderness, there are a lot of things went on. But in the wilderness, God made a covenant with the people. And they, he gave instructions for how they were to build a tabernacle so that they have a proper place for the worship of God and a proper way to do it so that they could be in a right honor relationship with their God. And so they did that. The tabernacle. And the history moves on. And we get a man, a named David, a good king, a king who has sin in his life, obviously, but a king whom God declared to be a man after my own heart. And he had a desire to build a house for the Lord. He wanted to build a temple so that God would have a proper permanent place for worship. And you know God honored David's he said, in as much as you had it in your heart, that's a good thing. But it wouldn't allow him to do it. He said, no, I'm not going to permit you to build this temple. But your son, he will do it. And so the temple, what about the temple? Why build the temple? I want to visit some scriptures here. I want us to go back to 1 Kings and look at chapter 8. And consider some of the things that we find here. The temple. One of the things that I thought about when I was studying and this whole idea of temple, temple. See, we're not the Israelites. We're not that covenant people of God. 
And so these things are for us to look at, to learn, to understand, and to learn by. But we don't have the same experience as they. But I want us to look in chapter 8 of First Kings. And I have a lot of it blocked off. I'll read considerably. I probably skipped some parts of it. But I will in order to get for the time's sake. But here, now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel, to Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with King Solomon at the feast in the mouth of Ethanim, which is in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the priests took up the ark. Then they brought up the ark of the Lord, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up, and King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel were assembled with him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen, that could not be counted a number for multitude. This was a grand occasion, worship of God and the way that God prescribed this uh, way he prescribed for them. Then the priest brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. And so they had built this temple, and they were putting the proper things in it that belonged there. Now drop down to verse number 10 if you're following. And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of of the Lord. These are marvelous and magnificent and wonderful things. That God being there with the people, his presence with them. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house, a place for you to dwell in forever. So this was not just a run-of-the-mill building when he said this house, this temple, is is it just lying in ruins. It's, just not a, it's not just some mundane building. The significance of it is marvelous and wonderful. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who spoke with his mouth to my father David, and with his hand has filled us, saying, Since the day that I brought my people Israel out of Egypt, I have chosen no city from any tribe of Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. But I chose David to be over my people Israel. Now, 
It was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord. But the Lord said to my father David, Whereas it was in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build a temple, but your son, who will come from your body, he shall build a temple in my name. It's marvelous, all of us reading down through here. But I'm going to have to skip along because otherwise we won't get on beyond this part. In verse 27, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you, how much less this temple which I build. Yet, regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Lord my God, and listen to the cry and the prayer which your servant is praying before you today in the dedication of that temple. That your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, My name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear in heaven your dwelling place. And when you hear, forgive. When anyone sins against his neighbor and is forced to take an oath and comes and takes an oath, before the altar in this temple, then here from heaven, then here in heaven. And it goes on. Verse 38. Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, which each one knows the plague of his own heart, and spread out his hands toward this temple. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, and forgive and act, and give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know. For you alone know the hearts of all the souls of men. That temple, why is it important? Why was it a problem that they neglected the temple? It was standing there as a representation of the people's ability to worship and honor God and to bring glory to him. It was standing there as a place where God says, I will be there. I will meet with my people. You can be right with me. You're going to sin, but when you do, you should know what to do. And he's praying, Solomon's praying this prayer. Turn your face to the Lord. Ask, and he said, Lord, forgive. But they have to look that way. And so the temple was there, and it was built, and it was magnificent. 
And, you know, it's really one of the things that marveled me every time I read it is all of the specific details that were given as to how this temple was to be constructed, what the materials were going to be, what the, what the uh, dimensions were to be, what was to be put in which place and all of these things, and the orders of the sacrifices and all the things they had to do, and who was to attend to the various things that needed to be done in order to, for the temple to operate in the way that it was supposed to. Marvelous. That temple, those people were hearing Haggai saying to them that the Lord is saying this temple is in ruins. How can that be? And you're living in your panel houses. The idea is that they had nice dwelling places for themselves. But, you know, something happened to cause them to be there without a temple. Because that wonderful, marvelous, magnificent, world-inspiring building, that temple of Solomon, had been destroyed. Destroyed. Now, it wasn't a happenstance that it was destroyed. God, in the whole process, is working in the midst of his covenant people. And so what came to pass is more record, record, record of what God is doing and accomplishing. So that there came a time when the people went into captivity in Babylon. And so we're getting, we're getting towards Haggai. Because before we get to Haggai and his ability to give the message he has to a group of people which have been labeled, we call them the post-exilic because they have come out of exile. But we haven't gotten them into exile yet in our little study, the way we're doing it today. So let's look at Second Chronicles in chapter 36. In chapter 36, and I'm going to start here at verse 11. Now, this is what it says. Zedekiah, now who is Zedekiah? A king in Judah. Take note of that. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he became king, and he reigned 11 years in Jerusalem, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And did not humble himself before Jeremiah the prophet, who spoke from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against the king of Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear an oath by God that he stiffened his neck, but he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart against turning to the Lord God of Israel. He himself had culpability. Moreover, all the leaders of the priests and the people, transgressed more and more according to all the abominations of the nations and defile the house of the Lord. You talk about high crime? High crime. They defile the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of the Father sent 
warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. Notice what that said. You see, God was not at fault. He kept sending messengers. Every time he sent a messenger, that was an opportunity. And when the opportunity is present, the people can seize it or they can cast it aside and say, I don't, I'm not interested. Anyway, let's read on. Here's what they did in verse 16. They mocked the messengers of God. They despised his words and scoffed at his prophets until, now, there's a captivating word. You see, they can do these things for so long, but the time in which they can do it is limited. There is a mark or a place beyond which there is no return. Until the wrath of the Lord, this is verse 16, rose against his people till there was no remedy. Can you think of sadder words? Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who kill their young men with a sword in the house of the sanctuary. And he had no compassion on the young man or virgin or the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand and all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king and his leaders, all these he took to Babylon. Then, verse 19, said, They burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its possessions. And those who escaped from the sword, he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this shows you something about the work and the way uh, historical developments worked. But let me just read on here to the next, to the next verse here, or the next two verses, actually. Because it says here, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the, hand, until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths, as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. God had told Jeremiah, this captivity is going to last for 70 years. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. So we see that the hand of God is moving. 
He's moving. The affairs of history are moving, but God is moving them. He's at work. They went down into Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar's reign. But they're not under Babylonian authority now. See? So the Persians, they came in, and, and, and they uprooted, and they overtook Babylon. And so the Persians are in control now. And so now God is using, he's orchestrating what's going on here. These Persians now, this Cyrus, it says here, king of Persia, here's what he said, all the kings of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build a house at Jerusalem, which is in, Jerus- in Judah, the very place where Solomon's temple had been demolished by the Babylonians, the successors to the Babylonians, Persians are saying, it's time to go and to rebuild a house. That has to be the Lord's doing, right? It has to be. And it is. It was. And so he says, who is among all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. And then we're going to go over to Ezra. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it in writing. And then he says what he says down through there. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 7. Our time is escaping quickly. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridah, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. And then I'm going to leave off that part there. But so you see what's going on there uh, with that. Now, I just want to, I'm not getting anywhere near as where, far as where I had thought to go today. So I think that means that I need to come back and talk some more next Sunday. But let me do this. Now, the word compassion. Now, I'm in Second Chronicles again in chapter 36 and at verse 15. Notice this. And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Compassion. Now, does that bring anything to mind? Compassion. What about thinking about Matthew again? In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, here's what, we, what it says. But when he, Jesus, saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep, having no shepherd. Compassion. The same God who had compassion. This Jesus, God in flesh, the Savior compassion. Same God. Way back there, we're reading 
all these centuries ago. And we get here. And Matthew is talking about that. I'm going to give another one. Mark chapter 1, verse 41. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him. And it said to him, I'm willing. Be cleansed. Somebody had come and had a physical affliction. And the Lord had compassion on him. Mark 5, 19. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. What Jesus was responding to the one that he had healed. Go and talk about the compassion of the Lord. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. That's Luke seven thirteen. He had compassion. Hebrews 5, 1 and 2. For every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have passion, compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. That's that priest, since he himself is also subject to weakness. So why build the temple? It was not merely to have a meaningful project to work on. It was not merely to have something to do. But the whole thing is focused it draws the focus to God, the people's focus to God. That's the thing that's important. And so as Matthew said, that we should endeavor to seek first the kingdom of God. Because we know that if we are rightly aligned with him, God has promised that he will never leave nor will he forsake those who are his own. We just need to understand and to know and to be his own and to see him and the things that belong to him. So why the temple? Because the temple was God's ordained means of focusing the people's attention upon himself for his pleasure and for his glory and to their benefit. And there couldn't have been a better plan. It was his plan. We're going to close it with prayer. Our Father, we thank you that you have privileged us this morning to have these words available to us in our language and given to us the ability to have a measure of understanding of what these things are. And we ask for your help that we can cause these, allow these things to penetrate us through the spirit of the living God so that we might bring pleasure to you and that you might be glorified in us. We ask in the name of Christ the Savior with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for your kind attention.